We are the church, right? We are the church. Uh, bow your heads, if you would, and let me pray as we start our time together in, in learning. I want you, uh, if you would, imagine this is an awesome prayer. Jesus prayed this for you and for me, for the church. So hear this from him. This is our prayer. Jesus says, I, I'm not only asking that you'd bless these disciples, but I'd also ask that you'd bless those who will believe in what they say about me. That's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, that they also would be in us, so that the whole world would believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them. Right there at grace, they have my glory that they may be one, even as you and I, as we were one. I'm in, I am in them, you are in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given to me, may be with me where I am. They'd see my glory in heaven that you've given them to me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know who you are, I know you, and these, the church, they know you. They know that you sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love that you have given me, they will share with one another and I in them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Isn't that, an, isn't that an amazing prayer? I want us to look at that. It is this glorious prayer that Jesus prays for us, for the church, for grace. We're studying uh, the body of Christ. We're studying the bride of Jesus Christ. Let's do some logic. If the church is the body of Christ, if the church is the blood of Christ, Jesus Christ is the king of all kings, then his bride, the church, is a queen. The church is the queen because Jesus is king. And we've been spending some time uh, in our church together learning about the church, the doctrine of ecclesiology. We're learning about the church. We're learning like how to honor the church, give her the glory she deserves. And this week we're going to be looking about at what, it's, what the church is meant to be. And the church is meant to be one. The church is meant to be unified around, around our new identity as we are adopted into God's family. And we're to be unified around the cause to let the world know that the Father sent Jesus to be Savior. When people see the love of God that we've received, that we are loved the same as he loves his own son, then people will believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. When they see the love we've received, that happens. That changes the way people look at us. So I, I know sometimes in church it looks like everybody's getting along in unity and we're working well together. And I have found that sometimes that's the case when everybody's getting their way. It's fine until someone says, no, we can't do that anymore. Uh, the Women's Bowling League or something is uh, praising the leadership or the church itself. And then it's like, hey, we're going to need those, 
that bowling alley space for our children's ministry, and it's like, oh, but bowling is my gift, you know, and I've, I've always been a bowler, and this is, how I, this is how I show my love for God, and you should provide a venue for me to bowl. And now you won't, and so now I'm going to have to leave the church and go where? There's another bowling league somewhere else? Whatever. But the point is, is that the definition of unity, in a lot of ways, the definition of maturity, the definition of respecting the queen, is when you put the church over your personal preferences, or even most more so, your, your personal love of things, and, and a ministry that you've been involved in that's been significant in your life and the life of other people. When I was looking at this passage, I, I was uh, reminded again of Dr. Lisa Jones, who almost a year ago passed away, and she served in our church for over 25 years. And she was such a mature believer, understood this concept of church, because it seems like in those 25 years, we were out to get her. It looked like it, because whatever she enjoyed, we took away from her. You know, she was involved in leadership and serving in the elementary school and the preschool that was here, Grace Covenant School, and, well, we paved that. You know, we put, we put this building on top of it. And she, you know what? That was okay. You know, that was more important than her preferences. She was involved in, in our choir, and she served in our choir, and she led part of the choir. And when we moved into the new building, we don't have a choir. And what, how did she respond to that? She ended up being on the leadership team that, that planned the worship services in a new genre of music that wasn't what she was able to sing to. She was involved in our student ministry, and she became quite fond of our student pastor at the time as she served and led in that ministry, and he left. And it was as though we were following her around and waiting for her to fall in love with some kind of ministry or value, and then we would take it away. We weren't. It wasn't vindictive. She, it was just that happens. And so it wasn't, you know, she'd just sit on the front row every week. And people would literally come up to her and say to her, why, why don't you leave? Why are you still here? And she would just say, it's family. And family hurts each other. I mean, I, I, get, I understand that. And family's more important than my, you know, my feelings and, and some of my values. She was an amazing human being. The reason there's so much division and disunity in the church, the reason there's disunity and division and anger and, and you know, everybody's at war right now all over the world okay, is what theology books call, the problem is, it's called total depravity. And what that means is, is the nature of a human soul is bent. It is, it, it is the pattern that we are made to, and, and the, the bent that we have turns us towards selfishness and selfish ambition. It makes our ego the center of our universe. One author put it this way, sin creates this relentless, sleepless, uh, uh, unending concentration on the self and its need to be completely isolated from other people. Sin makes us want to be loners because when we're alone, we're in charge. When we're alone, we get what we want. And, and we, so we cause all kinds of anger towards other people when we don't get special attention. We don't get what we want. It's very, very difficult uh, to have any kind of unity unless this problem of total depravity is conquered. And only God offers a solution to depravity. 
Only God can give us by His grace, by the gift of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we can get a new soul, a soul that has changed in its essence, its nature, and now we have the capacity, if we would tap in on that Holy Spirit, to turn outwards and not be ego-driven. So when we feel slighted or forgotten or mistreated, it's all but impossible to love one another and to be unified unless unless something has happened to our souls that would change it radically, would change it essentially. It would change our identity and our cause. You can have unity if you have a new identity, a new, a new way of defining yourself, would it, that, that thing that makes you different, and you have a new purpose in life, a new reason to live. And Jesus, in his prayer, when he was praying for his disciples and when he was praying for us, his church, when he was praying for you and when he was praying for me, he was saying to us, oh, I'll give you a new identity and I'm going to give you a new cause and you'll be one because that will be the most important thing in your life. And so he, he, prays, he prays this for, for you and for me. He said, in verse 20, he says, I don't ask for these, the, the apostles anymore. He's talking about the disciples. I, I'm, I'm not just praying for them. I'm praying for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one. And so Jesus leads the prayer off by, by beginning by saying, he says, look, you guys are going to be one in community. Your, your, your days of your private little world are over. You will be connected to each other. You will be, you know, surrendered to one another. You, you need to learn how to develop great relationships that are trusting. And this unity will be built on the truth of a new identity and a new cause. And that's what the rest of this, sec, this prayer is about. He's going to say it multiple times in different ways of looking at it. In verse 21, though, you can see that he, he's telling us that only grace can transform you. He says that they may all be one, just as you, the Father, are in me and I am in you, that they, they also may be in us. So that, every time you see so that, then he goes from identity to cause, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He's talking about plural pronouns. As, as the Father is in the sin, that's in us. As the Son is in the Father, that's in us. You will be with us. It's an invitation to be part of his family. This is the new identity. You get to get adopted into his family. The Father and the Son are one. The Son and the Father are one. You get to be part of that. That's, that's no more eyes, no more mine. It's, it's us. You get a new family. Would you, this is, God's just walking around, the Trinity's walking around. Would you like to join us? If you, if you are, you'll be, you'll be part of us. You'll be this bride. You'll be this one body. You come over here, you're a loner. You don't have to be alone anymore. So that, so that we're a family, so that the whole world would know that the Father sent his Son to be Savior. The cause is so that the world would know. All saints have this in common, total depravity. All saints have this in common, total grace. It's all grace. It's just it's an invitation from God. There's unity with, without uniformity. We, we have the same last name that's defining our identity. It's up here. We're in the family of God. That's our surname. But our first name, it's different. Everybody has a different, every, all kinds of different expressions of, of who we are. 
God says, uh, he's basically saying, I'm going to make all kinds of people, different flavors, different accents, different nationalities, all kinds of different backgrounds. They're all going to have my last name. If they've surrendered their life to me, if they've trusted in Christ as their Savior, they're going to have the same. They'll be one. They'll be part of us so that everyone would know that the Father sent the Son to be Savior. He doesn't just share his last name, just, just doesn't just share grace, this invitation to be part of the family. He shares his glory. Jesus says, look, I'm going to, verse 22, the glory that you've given me, oh, I'm giving to them, plural again, I'm giving to them so that, the cause is, they may be one even as we are one. All the glory the Father gave to the Son, the Son gives to his bride so that we can all be one together. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, the bride. Now watch what happens when he talks about the love that is shared, because I want you to see that the identity is on the front end of this, our new identity, and then our new cause is, it's an interesting way of looking at how this whole thing works. Anyway, verse 23 says this, I'm in them, you are in me, right? Yeah, that's that new identity, that they may become perfectly one. And here's what happens when they're perfectly one, so that... This is the cause. The world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The new identity is I'm in you and you are in me, and we've gotten them in the car with us. We're going around trying to get as many people as possible. You bet. So that, one, everyone would know that the Father sent the Son, and two, so the whole world would know that the father loves his new children, the adopted children, look at the words there, it says, same as, even as, even as you loved me. He's saying, this is is the attraction of the world. They look at us and how unified we, we are with one another. They're seeing us with so much love. That group of people have so much love, and it's a supernatural love. It's an inexplicable love. They are loved even as. They are loved even as the Father loves the Son. This is an audacious love. It is the same degree of love that he loves Jesus. It's the same. It's, it's not lesser than that. It, it is not different from that. He loves you. The whole Bible is this, right? He loves you. He loves me. He loves those he has chosen, those who surrender to him, even as he loves the Son. When the Son returned to him, the greeting the Father gave Jesus is the same greeting we will receive, even as. It makes, it's common sense. I mean, it, it, I mean you can know this experientially. You don't have to have a degree in psychology or anything, but you, you can't you can't love people deeply and unconditionally unless, you know, completely, unless you've received love. You can't give what you haven't received. And what it's saying here is that we receive this love from the Father even as He loves the Son. So we're we're inundated with the love of God, and it overflows. We talked about overflowing last week, I think. So it's it's overflowing on other people. We've received so much of this. I mean, it'll take decades for, this is a great homework assignment, for the next 10 years, put this to work, even as. 
even as. And so here's how it shows up a lot of times, at least in my life, is when I, when I feel threatened or when I feel slighted, like somebody ought to be loving me more or better, right? I would expect a better kind of love from a, a, a sibling or maybe, a, you know, a mate or a friend or something like that. And it's like, I'm not getting what I think I ought to be getting. I could shift into that going, wait a minute, maybe you should look in the mirror because you're not giving that kind of complete love either. And so maybe your hope should be some other place instead of trying to get love from a mate so that you can give love to your child. Maybe you should consider what Jesus was praying here, that you, you are receiving a love even as he loves the son. And now, um, David Wilcox has a great song, good illustration, perfect picture. He says, the cup in our soul that holds love, there's a crack in that. And so, uh, you know, here I am with my cracked mug that holds love, and here's my wife's cracked mug. Hers is broken too. And I'm trying to fill her up with love, but I can't even keep mine from draining and, and sieving out. And she's trying to fill my cup up. And he's and the, th- the song is genius. He says, we keep trying to fill each other's cups and we're both, we're both empty. This is what we're trying to do. This 10-year this homework assignment is to coming to the realization that in the song it says, we should go to the waterfall. If we take our cups to the waterfall, they'll have plenty of love in them. So now we can fill up other people's loves. Look at the love they have for one another. Look how they've been loved by God, even as he loves his own son. Their cup runneth over. The world will see that. The world will see, the world will see how much we've been loved, and they'll say, can I be part of that family? I would love to receive that. I've never seen anything like that. I see the way you guys are caring and confident and, and, and not th- uh, threatened. You guys are generous towards one another. It just seems like it's this infinite resource of love. Yes, because I have been loved even as he loves his own son. There's a lot of leftover. There's a lot to give away. This overflow that I have, and this is my identity. I've, been, I've received the same glory, and Jesus gave me that glory. He gives it to his bride. He gives it to us. And with that kind of new identity, this love, you know, even as, and then this, this purpose, this cause, so the world might know, oh, yeah, that's, that's the new me. The new identity is being part of the family. The, the new cause is so that the world would know. When, you, when we do mission trips together, this is the theme of those mission trips because we'll go to places in the world where we're never going to catch up with the language or the customs or anything. But here's what we do know, that in our training time, if we can learn to love one another, and when we go over to those other places and, and people, it's, it's a universal language, division or unity, okay, everybody can see it, they can, facial expressions, all those, those signs and if, and if we're able to love one another and show the type of love that we've received, even as, we're going to make a statement. And our, a lot of our mission trips from our, our junior high kids on the way up, we have success stories, and this is how we keep success, is we say, did you go? Were you the bride? Were you, were, were you who you were meant to be, all you were meant to be? Because if you did that, you've made them wonder that you'd been loved even as.
That's what he's talking about here. And it makes people wonder, what? So the world would know that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And his method of marketing is overflowing love because of the unity of the church. What about all the differences? See, here's the best part about that. When you make your identity, everything that you, you know, are really important in your life, if you put that as being in the family of God, receiving the love of God, the glory of the Son, and that cause that's associated with that, if that's up here, everything else is a remote second. And since everything's a remote second, you can kind of play around with it. You can have a lot of fun with it. You can enjoy, viva la difference. You can enjoy the differences in backgrounds, in race, in personalities, all the sorts of things you can kind of mix together and, and learn from one another, not try to make everybody the same, not uniformity, but unity with a lot of background differences. And we, so we have people from all over the world and with different all kinds of experiences. You know, uh, some people, uh, they were in the military, right? I was a Marine and that was my life. And they, you know, that identified them. And then when they become Christians, it's like, yeah, sure. I did some, yeah. I mean, it was an important part of my life. It kind of changed my life, but it, it's not me. I want a couple gold medals. I'm a gold medalist, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, stop talking about it. You become a believer and that becomes the first and, and a distant, everything else is a distant second. You don't care. You don't, you don't need to talk about it. You don't know you need to establish that you, were, you had done that or you had different skills. And so that's why Paul, about eight times in his letters, whenever there's division, he goes, why? What could possibly be second place? that would even matter in your lives together because you could be the bride unified showing that the father had sent the son. Has something else taken your identity? Has something else wrestled its way? And so he says in Colossians, here's one example. It's all, it's all over the place, but he says in Colossians chapter three, he says, look, here in the church, there's, not, there's no Greek or Jew. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no barbarian or uh, Scythian, and there's no slave or free. But Christ, Christ is all, and Christ is in all. This is what matters. All this other stuff is so far down here. How could you be, how could you be guys having difficulty? There's no national differences. There's not Greek or Jew. There, he says there's no religious differences. doesn't matter if a person's circumcised or not circumcised. You know, they're in the family of God. Look at their last names. There's no cultural, you know, distinctions. He says barbarian and Scythian. Now, it sounds a little redundant if you know what they are, but... There's barbarians, you know what that is. Scythians were like the worst nomadic rogue barbarians that you can imagine. They would, they would battle naked and they would drink the blood of, their, uh, of the people that they destroyed. And so he's saying, look, you guys are all together now. Your cultural differences don't matter anymore. So if you can imagine a church announcement, right, the the the. The Persian Jews and the Scythians are going to go on an outreach together. They're going to go to a tractor pull and then go dancing in the ballroom dancing. You guys, I know you love each other so much. You have so much in common. The Scythians were going to insist that you wear clothes to this event, okay, because there'll be other people. But there's, the idea here is you guys have nothing in common. You have one thing in common, and that one thing is everything. Love even as, so that. There's no economic and social things, so he says there's no slave or freeman. Everyone is in Christ. As you are in me, as the Father is in me and I'm in him, you are in us. 
That's your identity. That's everything. And so it's so far away up here, these other things can't matter. Jesus loves the little children. He loves all the little children, all the little children in the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children in the world. There's no personality differences, right, and as far as leaders go, right? There, so there's a, there's, there's a church that gets in trouble, and they say, oh, I'm, I'm a follower of Paul. Oh, I'm a follower of Peter. I'm a follower, follow, follower of Apollos. And Paul writes in and goes, guys, we're all just serving the Lord. You know, quit. See, they get up here, and they want uniqueness and identity other than they don't think this is enough to be part of this family. And so they start branching and separating themselves. It's almost like modern day, uh, I don't know, uh, denominations, right? And, and I mean, there's a lot of different denominations. And as long as your convictions are in the right place, mere Christianity, right, the orthodox beliefs, then your other beliefs and opinions, let's enjoy those. You know, let's, let's get along. We, can, we have a lot to learn from Lutherans. It's like, why not? No gift distinctions. This happens again in a church. There's a church in the, in the New Testament time. They actually get two letters written to them, not one, but two. And the reason is, is because this church, the Corinthian church, First and Second Corinthians, is written because they are so proud and so insecure. And, they, and, they kind of, and the people there are, are dividing the church because of their insecurities, because while they are saying, yes, we're followers of Jesus Christ and, you know, right, he's our Savior, they take, it's, it's ironic because they take the very spiritual gifts that the Spirit of God gives them, and the purpose of the spiritual gifts, right, is to edify, strengthen, build up in unity the body of Jesus Christ, make her stronger in doing things she couldn't do otherwise. They're using those same gifts to split the bride. Can you imagine the grief the groom must have, right? I, I've, I've given you these gifts, and you're, it's like you're hitting each other over the heads with them. And, and so... The, their, their identity became in those gifts. And so they started siloing, you know, and becoming cliques and saying we're better than the other gifts. And that happens in churches a lot, right? So people with teaching gifts, they'll come over here and they say, we need to make the church a teaching center. And, you know, you can. You can. You can make the church a teaching center. But if it is, it's not what the church should be. There's so much more. And the church is greater than the sum of the parts of all those gifts, Sometimes people with compassion gifts, they'll all get together and they'll say, we need to make the church a hospital. The church should be a hospital to heal people and help people. You know what? It can be. But if it is, it's not what the church could be or should be. It is less because a church is more than the sum of the parts of the various gifts. Uh, some would, are very much into service and getting out there and doing stuff, working sometimes for God. It's pretty easy to slip into kind of the missional thing where you're working for God, maybe not so much with God. And you can become, you know, that church that's always out there doing some things like that. But it's not who the church was, could be. Because, because if it's dominated by uh, one or two gifts, then it's at the expense of the other gifts. Same family, okay? Bunch of different names to enjoy the different types of brothers and sisters. That's how it's supposed to work, right? We're supposed to be enjoying the differences together. Have you ever seen like a bumper sticker or sometimes there are flags outside people's houses and it'll say house divided? You ever seen those? Because the parents that are living there, generally they, they have 
children that are going to two different colleges, you know, and the colleges are, are rivals, right? And so they've got this sign outside that's basically saying, pray for us, man, pray. We've got a house divided. I mean, I got a son that goes to UT and my other son couldn't get in, so he's at A&M. And so, <clears throat> and so our house is divided. Terrible. No, that's not what's happening. Yeah, I just said that. On a sermon about unity. Huh. Okay. Not get our feelings hurt. Okay. There's a point. They're not putting a little flag outside to say, oh, pray for us. We're at war. They're, they're, aren't they kind of making fun of it, aren't they? Two rival colleges that, or universities that could be divisive, not in our house, not around our table. We're going to laugh like we always laughed. Who cares? That's, I mean, this mattered before, and now it's down here. We're family, and then we go to various schools. That's what they're saying. That's what Paul's saying here. Look at you guys with your gifts and stuff. So what? Your family. Your family. Use that. The community working together. Affirming one another, right? Enjoying one another. You don't have to have your friends in community all looking and acting just like you. The, the beauty of the church is you get to intimately connect on a soulish level with people that you would have almost nothing in common with, but have that one thing in common. It's you have the same father who sent his son. And that father loves you even as he loves the son. So you can enjoy the plurality of that. Some of you who have experiences with this, I would highly recommend when you travel outside the country, you know, whether it's on vacation or on a mission trip, go to a church. You know, God-fearing church, Spirit of God's going crazy in there, and just worship with your brothers and sisters in another language. It's a joy to hear the songs sung that we sing here in another tongue. And then, man, go to a potluck afterwards because you'll connect almost immediately with people that you don't even know because you have this common familial relationship. The son is in the father, the father is in the son, and I am with them. We, we, it's us, it's the bride working together. One of the, one of the most tragic parts of, of church history and particularly American history is, is is racism in America. And it's especially difficult to talk about or even to ponder in kind of in the eternal scheme of things because our country was founded on Christian principles by many of the men and women that founded it were Christians. We were, you know, right, religious freedoms, right? And so this would be the place. This would be the place where different cultures and different races could come. And, you know, especially in the context of them sharing the same last name, we could so enjoy each other's differences. And that's not what happened. Sociologists will tell you that the church was set up. It seems as though it was set up by God himself so that we could show love across racial lines and the world would know that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen because they were American Christians or Americans and then Christians. Or they were white and they were Christians, and they should have been Christians. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I color my skin somewhere between white and pink most of the time. That's down here, my brother. That's what was supposed to happen, 
and it did not. And it's tragic because it, it, was, it was that moment that we could be bragging that we were the answer to this prayer. The church was meant to be one. The Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father, and we are with them, us, us. We're together. It's the etiquette of the queen. How are we supposed to act towards one another? It would pretty, and why do we do that? It, it seems rather obvious, but I'll read it in Ephesians chapter 4. Look, how, look, look at the attributes of, of members of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. He says, I therefore as a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of being a queen, okay, that you've been called. So with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, of course, in love, making, making every diligent effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You're called to act like a queen. I mean, this high calling that we all get to receive, and the first attribute is humility, and, I, and scholars will tell you because, because pride is the opposite of humility, and pride is divisive. Pride causes disunity. It's the insecurity that people have in their pride that say, I got to be first somehow. I got to be unique and different. And, and they forget their identity is first in the Lord, and there's no, and there's a second place is distant. Proud people are playing power games. He says, use meekness or gentleness. And that's the, diff- the opposite of that is being harsh. Meekness, uh, in Greek terms, probably when this was written, it had in mind the idea of Aristotle's golden mean between extremes. Meekness was defined as the middle of, of getting angry too much and never getting angry. And if you never get angry, you, there's, you, you're passionless. If you're angry too much, there's, there's other problems. Meekness is where Jesus was, where, where he received a woman that was caught in sin in kindness, and, and he's turning over tables because they're mocking God. Meekness towards one another. We can do that. And then finally, patience. Patience. Because we have a 10-year assignment to figure out how to make apply in our life even as. It takes us a long time to fully grasp that the Father looks at us and loves us. A bunch of mutts, you know, a bunch of people he just found on the street and says, would you want to come in here? Could you be part of our family? And then finally, it says, making every diligent effort to, it says, to keep unity in the Spirit. He doesn't say so that you can have unity in the Spirit. Okay. It comes with it. Okay. The unity of the Spirit is already there when the Spirit showed up in your life. So you have to do everything diligently to just keep it there. Don't invent anything. Just don't throw wrenches in the gears. And the reason we're able to have all of this commonality, all this gentleness, all this patience, all this kindness, this lack of pride, this humility, why can we do that? Because truth, truth changes our identity. Our identity is up here, the next few verses. There is one body, that's the bride, there's, only, there's one spirit, just as you've been called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Look how we all shared in this baptism together. Remember when we went down, we came back up, we enjoyed the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We have all that in common. He goes on. He goes, there's one God and Father of us all 
who is over all and through all and in all. It was by the grace given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. You have so much in common, and then these gifts come later that make you different. That's what he's saying when he mentions the gifts that have come to you by, by God's grace. You have all this in common, way up here. And so everybody's been given a bunch of gifts. Viva la difference. Unity without being uniformity. Enjoy the difference, he says. You're finding this identity and this purpose and believing this. And then he's, he's basically saying, look, now you guys go, like, build something. It's like the band up here, right? It's like... Uh, the metaphor would be we're, we're in the orchestra, we're in the band, Jesus' band. And so, right, we have the we have a little pass that goes around our neck that we get, get in the back door. That I'm in the band. I've got the band jacket, right? I'm part of this band. That's everything. So he's saying, look, okay, look, everybody play your part. Don't fight over the microphones. Now, now play me something. Come on. You're my band. Play me. I gave you the talents to do that. So just play your part. Whatever it is, the talents and gifts I give you, do something together. Show off. Give it back to me. Enjoy the difference because you have so much in common up here. One of the best Bible studies I've ever been a part of, it was the first one I was ever part of. We were out in Southern California. Melinda and I were newly married, just fresh, had no idea what was going on. Uh, very young. And the guy who hosted it, he was probably about 45, couple teenagers. He had quite the story. It was different than ours. Uh, he ran away from home when he was 16 and hitchhiked across America to get as far away as possible to California when he's 16 years old. When he's there, it's not far enough. So he lies to a recruiter so that he can go to the Vietnam War. This is a war men ran from, not to. So he joined the armies, became a ranger, special forces guy, and stayed there for two tours, came back to California, started a construction company. By the time we met him, he was a millionaire, but he was still hanging sheetrock. Regular guy, but he did quite well. He was married to an absolute saint because what would come out of this man's mouth was completely unpredictable. He was just doing, you know, just kind of thinking out loud one day in a Bible study, and he was saying, you know, if all babies go to heaven why don't we just go to countries where it's like there's zero chance these people are going to ever know of Jesus Christ. Why don't we just go to those countries and kill all the babies and we'll send them all to heaven? And we're like, look, yeah, I was, I see your face. It looked, that's how I looked at him. And I like, well, you know, I'll bring it up at our missions board meeting and we'll, (laughs) we'll see, we'll see how that goes. When we left California, before we left the Bible study, we gave him a, Bible, uh, a T-shirt that said something like uh, killing babies for Jesus or something like that. It's not a ministry that's well known. But, and then we had this other guy. He was a single guy. He was about 40 years old. He was a real clown. And by that, I mean he was honestly a real clown. He was a professional clown. And he would travel around the world being a clown or around the country. And so we had the only two people who went to college, was Melinda and myself, and then this, this millionaire uh, baby killer for Jesus, his saintly wife, and a, and a clown. We never went home on time. I mean, it got so bad that they just started making dinner 
Uh, we were at least an hour to two hours past our time together. We just enjoyed each other's differences. We had one thing in common, and that's all that mattered. They were family. They had the same father. They received the glory from the son that the son got from the father. God loved them even as he loved his own son. We were so connected. That's the power of the bride of Christ being the bride. Humble, gentle, patient. The power of this church, grace, is its diversity. The unity that we can have in the midst of our diversity. Multi-generational church, all kinds of backgrounds. Could probably use a little more seasoning in here. A lot of white people, but that's another story. (laughs) Other than that, we have a lot to share and enjoy with one another. We could be that. Here's hell is this. Hell is when the, the chefs are British and the French are mechanics and the Swiss are lovers and the Italian organize everything. That's a bad church. <laughs> this is heaven. The Italians are the chefs. The mechanics are German. The French, they're the lovers, and it's organized by the Swiss. Look at all the diversity when they play their parts and work together. We could be that church. We are that church. We need to be everything the Lord would want us to be. Let's pray to that end. Lord Jesus, this is, uh, this is a, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed our time together studying uh, your bride, that we would be so blessed to be offered an opportunity to join you. Lord, I'd ask that the power of this prayer that you prayed for us 2,000 years ago could settle deep in the roots of our souls so that our identity will find itself climbing away from whatever's second, getting so distant from that that we can enjoy the differences that we, we share with one another and we could enjoy what we, that thing that we have together, this love that we received from the Father that you would love us even as you love the Son that the whole world would know. They'd be envious of receiving that kind of love, and we would be there. We would be there to say, no, 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 you can be part of this family. Lord, help us to, to make sense out of being loved even as the way you love the Son, that when we're threatened or feeling like we're forgotten, when we feel like no one cares or we've been slighted, that we'd find ourselves at a waterfall filling that broken cup, filling it, overflowing, that we might be givers of love because we're such recipients of love. Let us be that kind of church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.